0: Hey, guys, welcome to uh, Bhagyan uh, podcast number four. It is now, Hilibha, right? And um, today, we'll be discussing side channel analysis. Um, before that, I'll give a brief about what Bugbase is. Bugbase is India's first uh, consolidated bug bounty platform for uh, companies to basically come on and post their uh, bug bounty uh, programs on, where, which can be reached out to by several hackers all over the Indian community. And, and yeah, uh, that's what Bugbase is. We recently got incorporated, which uh, is a big step forwards towards, uh, you know, building this uh, platform that we um, want to make. So yeah, Nalabha. So yeah, today we have uh, Nalabha with us. Nalabha is actually the person who is handling, who's been making these podcasts till now. Um, By making, I mean, he's been basically getting the information and uh, writing some general scripts for us to follow along. And, and yeah, so today he is. One, he's actually on the podcast. So, Nilwa, you'd like to introduce yourselves?
1: Yeah. So, seriously, after spending three of the podcasts behind the screen, shouting and showing hands, you know, writing the script and stuff, it feels very tense. I feel very tense to be in front of the screen. So, I mean, that's all. Let's really get. Let let,
0: Let's begin. Let's see. Let's see how it goes. All right. So, uh, let's get started with side channel analysis. Um, Side channel attacks are basically a way in which uh, hackers try to get secrets from a chip using physical parameters. So they don't look at the code itself, but more of how the code has been implemented or how the hardware or software has been implemented. So side channel attacks are often used to find uh, certain secrets stored in, uh, in memory or you know, so by skipping certain instructions, by um, exploiting the way the system has been built. One way I like to explain side channel attacks are, um, you know, those, you know, those uh, rails, if you put your ear on them, um, you can basically hear a train coming from far away. So that's in a way a side channel attack, right? So even though it's not intended, you can see the fact that it's, it's you know, there's a train coming. So yeah, that's uh, that's basically what I like to explain it as. What do you think, uh, Nilba? Uh,
1: so basically, you know, Dhruva, like side channel mm-hmm. attacks, they actually pose a very serious threat to modules that have integrated cryptographic systems. As It's a known fact that a lot of these attacks have proven successful in breaking through algorithmically robust cryptographic operations, which is basically multiple layers of encryption and then extracting the secret key.
0: Right. So uh, the first kind of uh, SCA side channel attack is power uh, analysis. So power analysis basically involves uh, evaluating a device's power consumption uh, in order to uncover the secret information. And uh, this is basically done in a non-invasive way just by observing the amount of power any any device or any uh, chip uh, consumes. So yeah, can you give some more details on that?
1: See, so basically the method of recording power signals is actually pretty straightforward. All you need is an equipment which has a very high sampling rate of power. An oscilloscope pretty much does the job and it can be purchased for a very reasonable price. So basically the way you do it, this is you actually do a visual inspection of something called the power traces. A power trace is something that shows a sequence of patterns in the changing power across the device, and you can actually identify bits, instructions, and functions using it. So this visual inspection, when with practice, can actually prove very much useful when you are looking for clear patterns in the device under attack. And a hacker, it is a very good thing and a very simple thing to do. So I believe that another way of introducing these side channel attacks is to drive a system intentionally into a fault. Right. So, can we just talk about this?
0: Yeah, um, and that's one of uh, a common way of getting these side channel attacks to work. It's uh, basically called differential fault analysis. It involves um, you know either driving the internal, basically involves driving the internal state of uh, the uh, of the IC or any clock into an erratic into an erratic behavior just by uh, you know introducing high temperature voltage spikes or any other kind of um, physical corruption, which basically causes the device to um, fault or uh, glitch. So this is more of a um, destructive attack instead of getting information uh, out of the device. But of course, this is also a very easy to do attack and can actually be done with um, very simple equipment like FPGAs that people have uh, available nowadays. So, and, and like a very interesting thing about these side channel attacks is that they do not require the hacker to know the ciphertext or the passwords that have been stored in the uh, device to access the debugging port, etc. Right. They're side channel attacks and they just require access to the physical <laughs> device and you can extract information um, you know, right out of them. So, yeah. Um, what do you think, Nirvana?
1: So I know that a very cool way to do is that you basically take an Arduino board, you Mm -hmm. see where the system clock is, and you just shine lasers on it. And that basically falls the whole thing. So yeah, pretty cool about that. Now let's just move on to some really, you know, system bearing techniques. So one of them is basically called timing analysis. Now, timing analysis is an SCA, a side-channel attack technique, but that actually examines the execution time of each operation of a device under various configurations in order to obtain important information of this device under attack. So it's a very simple thing. In any chip, in any microprocessor, microcontroller, each operation that you do, it requires a given amount of time to complete. And this duration can vary upon what type of operation it is. For example, power on will take a certain amount of time, matching a password will take a different amount of time, the inflow and outflow of data will take a different amount of time. So once a hacker knows these, when he, he can match actually at what time specific instruction is happening. So let's just have you talk on how these things work, right?
0: Yeah. So, uh, timing attacks are, I think one of the most common types of uh, side channel attacks. Um, and as you said, password comparison takes uh, there is a difference, right? So um, I'll go into detail on that. It's basically um, let's say you have an an strcmp, right? A string compare. So uh, within the string compare operation, the number of assembly instructions for uh, getting a valid string is actually more than the number of assembly instructions required to get an incorrect string. So what ends up happening is that, and, and this is happening string by uh, letter by letter, so it's not comparing the whole chunk to each other, right? On the STRCMP, binary, this this is the binary we're talking about. So this is a valid attack today. So what an attacker can do is just, com- you know, brute force his way through, compare the timings of, um, you know, how long it's taking for um, the character to be evaluated as either as correct or incorrect, and he should be able to get um, the correct password. Pretty quickly.
1: So, apart from these, there are several other side channel analysis like signals that can leak information about the stored secret in hardware. Some of these include sound, temperature, and even vibration, as Dhruva pointed out, like listening to the rails when a train is incoming. But the issue is that the analysis of these signals to extract information has not been very widely researched. But the common protection point remains the same. When you are trying to build a secure system, you need to consider all forms of side channels to be as like a valid threat for your information leakage and therefore take adequate countermeasures then only you can say yeah okay my system is mostly okay
0: right definitely uh, that's true and you know you talked about vibrations and things like that i actually saw a video very recently about this person using like uh, a laser onto an alexa and he was able to change the uh, laser frequency or something like that uh, the intensity and he was able to actually remotely tell the alexa what to do just you know by pointing that laser towards the uh, microphone of the amazon alexa device which is pretty scary you know because
1: totally it's it, it's a
0: commonly used device nowadays so what a lot of people i feel do is think he, you know these hardware attacks like side channel attacks and even binary um, exploitation attacks they're not Relevant in today's uh, world, but actually, I feel they're they're the most dangerous attacks in the world that can be performed right now, and, and you know go they daily, can even be done daily. remotely. Yeah. So, um, and I'm looking at this like uh, the I i saw an article in Bloomberg Business uh, Week week uh, some time back, and it says that you know Chinese intelligence servers had inserted these small millimeter-sized chips into um, you know, any, any PCBs in, in place and devices, and they were able to, uh, in a way, backdoor any device, by just by a side channel perspective. So they weren't directly interacting with the device, but they just installed their chip onto it. And, uh, you know, they were able to get all the data onto their Chinese servers and all, which, which of course was never proven. But it's a possibility.
1: We can't disprove it.
0: Yes. Right. So yeah, what do you what do you think of that?
1: Yeah. So yeah, basically everything like this stems from the very old rumor that Chinese, you know, like the mobile chargers they have chips inside them that relay data back to your manufacturer. Hmm. See, but there is some truth to that because you see, hacking has always been historically associated with you know software attacks, chip penetration, and stuff like. In- injecting malware into something, dumping the firmware, but see the vulnerabilities of a printed circuit board, the OT hardware part of chip building, hacking of that is you know only beginning to be documented. So you know in order to understand how a chip circuit board can be hacked, we need to see at how they are made. So see basically printed circuit boards, they have thousands of components, and the main function of a PCB is to provide structural support to hold these components in place and give them the wiring connections for the signals and the power. So what PCB designers do is that they have they create two electronic documents. One of them is called a schematic and the other one is called a layout. The schematic okay. is like the flowchart of a program. It describes the connection between the various components. The layout is like the actual code. It depicts the finished bare board, as you would say, digitally, of course, and it also locates objects on the board. Now, if you look into a PCB, very common one, like an Arduino Uno, you'll see that it is not completely populated by components. There's a lot of empty space inside it. And these spaces are called empty component footprints. Now the attacks can be made at any one of these design steps. So basically what happens is in the first type of attack, you can add extra components to the schematic. This actually is the hardest one to detect because the schematic or the flowchart is usually regarded as the most accurate reflection of the designer's intent. For example, if you have a Texas instrument chip, it tells you how the engineers back there intended the chip to work like. And also a variation on this one can be to first add a seemingly normal component to the schematic and then using a maliciously altered version of the component in production. It may look normal when you're giving it to the manufacturer. But the manufacturer puts in something that can be harmful on the same dimensions and mostly the same function. This attack is, of course, like jokingly called as called as hardware trojans, and they should be taken very seriously.
0: Right? Yeah, hardware trojans. So, you know, Countermeasures for this one. Yeah, that's that's literally yeah. what it is. Right? You you placed it very correctly, and and yeah, you mentioned the schematic. So one way I would think that you know these companies could. Um, Know, prevent these attacks is to ensure that these schematics are reviewed by a third party before they're actually published into production. And this is the place where bug base might come in, right? They can outsource their uh, schematics online exactly. Uh, in, in a way, open sourcing them, right? And people can review them. And whenever something is, um, you know, viewed by the public and tested by the public, it's generally secure. And when that, that is the exact thing that goes into production, Everyone will trust that
1: device. So that was about the schematic, but another type of attack basically involves adding extra components to the layout this time. It is a very straightforward process. One would just need to go into a manufacturer's factory and then just push stuff in. But, you know, like there are various processes to um, compare the layout to the schematic. So it's a bit harder to get with at the manufacturer's side. But at minimum, you know, a layout technician can be paid and he would just falsify the results of the comparison. And combating this technique is also very simple. You know, just have an engineer or if bug base were to step in, a group of engineers to just observe the layout to schematic comparison step by step independently and just sign off it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And another place where I feel that these could be attacked um, is we have to look at the whole supply chain, right? So one place there could be attacked is when you bring in a device for repair, someone might, you know, uh, Trojan your device, then, uh, that's one place where you need to ensure that you you know, the person who's repairing your device is actually a trustable person. And another place where I think these, you know, could be hijacked is, um, while it's being sent out to production, basically in transit and, uh, in transit several times, these companies, uh, you know, don't focus exactly. on securing these devices people can uh, you know put any kind of extra things that they want on these devices on in during transit also so um, what do you think are the you know final preventive measures that people can take to protect themselves from these attacks
1: so the first thing you talked about repairs so whenever you're trying to repair a device please please take it to the people who are qualified enough to do it the best is to go to the official manufacturer maybe you'll spend some extra bucks but you know you'll have like, the good security with you. And as for the manufacturer's side, one way is to choose parts with no leads in them. Basically, when you don't have any probe points to touch on the PCBs, a hacker cannot actually intercept the interchip communications or you reprogram know, or debug the IC. We talked right. about like fault injections and stuff. And you might also bury your signal traces on the outer layers of the board and ensure that the outer layers and the ground planes, the power and the signal lines are very much separated. And there are a lot of through-hole stitchings so that you can't uh, actually dig into the power lines and introduce faults. Yeah. So you can also break away programming headers. Without these headers or test points, a hacker cannot try to reprogram your IC, but it also means that you can't reprogram your IC or test your boards. So one of the ways is like, in, in the present times, a lot of ICs can be factory programmed, which kind of solves the problem. You don't have to do it mm-hmm. twice. And even if you remove the headers, it is safe to assume that you can have firmware updates on your design with OTA updates. Which when talking about hardware like, hacks... Like a a remote, remote, remote,
0: remote updates, basically. The device gets uh, updated remotely yeah exactly right. uh, so uh, yeah i think that's uh, yeah. that's very valid and it's very interesting that you raise the point that you know people should go to the manufacturer to get the device repaired which is quite against what you know most people have nowadays you know a lot of big movements on right to repair they want anyone to be able to repair these devices so um, you know several people don't realize that not everyone is nice i mean i would say you know most people are but exactly. just by you know even if why does apple not allow devices to be, uh, you know, repaired by other manufacturers. Why don't they give them parts? It's mainly because right. of these reasons, right. They don't want other people to, you know, look at the schematics and or the, any, anywhere else and be able to add their own software or hardware to it, which is, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a point against right to repair, but I guess, yeah, people will look at the pros and cons it of might, it might process. sound
1: selfish, but of course it has some logic in it,
0: but, uh, one way of, you know, just solving this would be, I guess, to again. Uh, open source everything and i just feel that if everything gets open sourced yeah. um Certified you know,
1: people.
0: yeah all right that uh that should solve it so um yeah uh, that was it i guess this was our fourth podcast now i think we're getting a good hang of it uh Nilabha will keep uh, writing you know yeah great great podcast for you guys and uh as every time uh if you guys have any feedback or any uh you know any things that you want to point out uh, or any topics that you might want us to talk about, please uh, put them in the comments or email them to us at uh admin uh, at bug-based.in. Uh looking forward to a, another podcast soon. All right.
1: So oh, yeah, with this, I think Dhruva, we actually come to the end of hardware hacking because yeah. I think we have covered almost all of them. So yeah, feels pretty good. Right.
0: All right. Uh thank you guys for tuning in. Uh goodbye.